Happy Monday and uh, happy Valentine's Day week. It's a week now. <laughs> but Thanks for joining us, Scott. What's up, Scott? Oh, delighted to be here, guys, on our annual, now becoming annual Valentine's Day week data, <laughs> Monday morning data chat. Is that long enough? Can you fit that in there in the title? We, we will. Yeah. But it's, um, that has become a regular thing. It's your third appearance, uh, on the, uh, Valentine's day. I, th- and I think in fact that they, um, yeah, just going by math, uh, the first time you're on was Valentine's day. And so, uh, anyway, you become the regular, we actually had to switch a guest around cause there's like, can't, can't not have Scott on a different date than this one. I, I, I appreciate so. that. Appreciate the, the flexibility there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. What's, what's new with you? What have you been up to? Just cranking on the puppets the data puppets is mm-hmm. a big focus of mine lately in case you haven't noticed i have my data engineering puppet character hopefully right i did that uh, who wore it best data engineering camo post oh yeah that was great yeah joe and then the raccoon character i had created had a camo vest on and somehow I just went, all right, I've got two data points. That's a trend. That's enough to draw. This is a trend. Yeah. Yeah. I have this, uh, for the audience, I have a, uh, um, you can't tell by the wonderful pink shirt I have on, but I also have a camouflage, uh, bomber jacket that I often wear. And, um, somehow it fit with Scott's. This was not planned, um, at all with the, uh, puppet outfit, but, but it works. It works. Yeah. So I did that, uh, those of you who haven't seen it, just Google data puppets and you'll find my stuff. I'm the only thing that comes up. It's unique in the data space to have anything starting with the word data and have only one alternative show up when you Google it. So I'm proud of my uh, SEO marketers, 100% organic dream come true. Google data puppets and you'll find all my stuff. So I'm focusing a lot on that. I'm working on this epic. Joe, you'll be in there at some point. I've got your scene. We can talk about that Sick. if you want. Uh, doing a lot of content with uh, brands as usual. I've got uh, some nice events lined up as the year starts to fill in. And I'm down here in our usual, and speaking of annual, Snowbird Airbnb nomad trip to Florida from the Northeast. Me and the data whisperer, whisperer, load up the car and come down here and go. We're in our third out of eight places we're staying between oh boy okay. the, between Martin Luther King Day and Easter. That whole period, we've got eight different places we're staying in for a variety of reasons. Um, eight. It's a lot eight. of logistics. It's a lot of we're good at packing and unpacking, but uh, it's fun. Yeah. Well, a couple of them are hotels. I'm going to the Gardner Show. I'll be at Enterprise Data World. And uh, where else? In Cocoa Beach right now, on the on the on the Space Coast, the East Coast Space Coast. Sounds terrible. Sounds. I'm having bad. a ball. Yes, I'm having a ball here. So in case you, you don't know, you should come back to the Northeast where we have good weather. I mean, yeah, I don't know why weather. you want the sunshine. You know, you can get skin <laughs> cancer from that. <laughs> um, actually, George, coming. we're taking listener questions already here, but uh, George Are asks. Getting- um, by the way, what's your favorite puppet there, Scott? My pup, my favorite has to be the star of my show here. This chief dog officer, the CDO, the chief dog officer is kind of like my, the, 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 the star of this epic. But I've been having fun creating all these other little characters. The ITB, obviously, uh, there's a great interview online. I got to post it with George's wonderful wife and partner, Deanna, where she had, she interviewed the ITB. We talked about AI. We talked about artificial intelligence we talked about gen ai we talked about generative artificial intelligence all the top topics 
and we had fun. It was fun. In terms of a creative challenge, it was a blast to actually have a live interview with a puppet talking to a real person and just kind of the logistics of that. And I felt very Jim Henson-like. I was about to say, this is straight out of Sesame Street or uh, one of his movies there. Um, You you may be onto something. Maybe this is a new trend for uh, uh, content, just, just puppets. All the way around, I am so, so onto something. I am. Yeah. Like, this is. Uh, it's the. Fo- it's most of my creative energy is going to this crazy stuff just because it's so satisfying and exhilarating. But it is an nice. enormous amount of work. I'm not complaining at all, but it's not like just kind of you know popping your iPhone on and doing a 30 second video and then throw it out there. Dubbing <coughs> and writing and shooting and the craftsmanship and getting better at puppetry and editing and syncing it all up. It's so fun. I'm having yeah. such a ball. More to come. Much more to come. Yeah. And uh, P.O. says uh, the um, CFO puppet is also oh, yes. pretty good. I, I can't see who's on it. So P.O.'s playing. P.O. Morell is playing the CFO, the chief fish officer. The first scene of the epic, which is uh, humbly titled Journey to the Center the single version of the truth, the hmm. greatest data story ever told. And and it opens up with the chief dog officer, the CDO, ready to pitch the value and importance of working with data to his board, which is populated by other animals, the CFO being the fish, the CEO played by Kate Strachney, which is, of course, an elephant, the COO, which is an ostrich played by my wonderful partner, Marianne, the CMO, who's a mouse, Joe Perez does that voice. And I, I, I wonder, it's like, how did nobody ever come up with this construct of having animals be a corporate board with the middle initial being an, an animal? I just, it's just, for me, it was just sort of lying there waiting to be done. Well, and as Fred says too, your, your puppets say everything that people are thinking. So it gets an interesting, uh, we, we can walk into that real quick, then we'll talk about the topic at hand. But the, uh, I think the puppets <laughs> do a good job of sort of deconstructing and, and, um, uh, sort of laying it on a third party to uh, say a lot of stuff that I think everyone's thinking, but you know, you don't want to put your uh, maybe not any name on it, but if it's a puppet saying it, then it's if it's a puppet, say, I found that I found I did this intercept video thing at Salesforce at a Salesforce conference in New York. And if you take the E off of Salesforce, it spells sales fork. So I, I have a character called sales fork. That's in my video epic. But I didn't bring anything, and I'm just showing up at Javits Center, and I decide, okay, I've got to do something here. This is just too much of an opportunity. So I found a spoon, actually, and I drew a little face on this spoon, and I went around to the different booths and interviewed anybody who had a swag stuffed animal character. And so I interviewed like an octopus, a mouse, somebody had a, 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 a kangaroo that the spoon dipped into her pouch. It got really awkward there for a moment. But I th- personally, I thought it was hilarious. I had a ball and all these people really, they really brought it because I just show up and go, hi, let's do this quick interview. I'm just using my phone and the spoon and just out of the, you know, out- outrageous. Um, but from a content perspective, I can get to the funny faster through this puppet angle I've found than if I'm just doing human to human intercept interview. And you know me, I, I, if there's a joke there to be had, I will look for it. And, you know, the puppets just take it all into, as you say, just a whole different universe. And people, you can't be too serious. You can't be serious at all. 
Which is fun because this is like a really serious business though. And they say this is sort of a, a lowercase s, um, but the data world is, uh, and you've been in this space for, for ages. Um, it's, I think sometimes it takes itself a bit too seriously. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, um, with, lots of money on the line. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of money on the line, but I would say, yeah. Um, the value, the value question, which we're going to dive into, that's still a big giant question mark in my opinion, that that's a giant question mark with a capital Q. Um, and uh, spend shit tons of money on the stuff. And at the end of the day, like, what are we getting out of it? So let's just dive into that now. Let's just dive into the topic at hand. Um, um, explaining value to the business. Explaining value. In quotes, capital B. Yes. <laughs> I, I start with this observation that I've articulated before around why is the data department the only, it seems to be the only department that has all of these kind of existential pondering philosophical wanderings around value and what is it and how do we you, you don't find that in the marketing department you don't find that in operations you don't find that in you know if you look at an enterprise typical enterprise which we all deal with all the time that's most of our audience the other departments in that enterprise aren't sitting around wondering how to explain value to the business and I think that element, we've got to look at that very seriously and go just, you know, get the work done. And I don't think the, I think there's an impatience on the side of the rest of the enterprise leaders of like, okay, here comes the data person again, just kind of being really philosophical and like, well, you can't really explain it, but you've got to explain. Meanwhile, sales is up there going, we hit our number or we didn't hit our number. Right. Ops is going, we made the quota, you know, we we fulfilled our operational requirements or we didn't. The product got shipped or it didn't get shipped. I mean, even marketing, which tends to have a little bit of, you know, there's that famous phrase. I know I waste half, half my ad budget. I just don't know which half. Yeah. William Wrigley said, right. Classic. Mm -hmm. um, but even they have seem to have a, a, a lot more confidence about the ongoing foundational value they bring to an organization maybe a certain campaign doesn't work or not but marketing is core to any kind of brand building and so i just wonder if we you know and, and then we talk to ourselves about it right so what is value how do we articulate it how do we i i just feel like we got to break out of that somehow and get to you know data ranting 3.0 or whatever stage we're going to get to where we go look this is how it works this is why it's good this is why you got to do more of it yeah, well, I mean, I, oh, go, go ahead, Joe. I, no, no, I was going to say, I mean, I think where you see the value is when other parts of the org ask for data and say, hey, we don't have clear analytics on our marketing campaigns. Can you help us with that? And frankly, there was an article that came out over the re weekend that maybe we'll get to talking about the kind of modern data stack craze and saying maybe it's time to move on from that terminology because we don't really care about the technology that much. What we care about is what we can do with it. <laughs> Well, let me share something with you too. But since we're on the topic of marketing, I just want to. Uh, there was this article that came out in October, um, on the in the, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Um, of anyway, all of all places, but it talks uh, about our, the divide between. Source, yes. Yeah, it's it's a it's a new publication. No, um, no puppets. So <laughs> no puppets. Uh, but the thing is, the interesting thing is, so the, there's this article that I, I always reference. The divide between uh, chief marketing officers and CEOs is growing. Uh, research finds so. Um, basically, the nutshell is CEOs say they understand what uh, CMOs do. Uh, CMOs disagree. So uh, the interesting stat was, um, uh, where was this? 
okay, nine, nine out of 10 CEOs say that the role of marketing pl uh, plays is clearly defined at the companies, according to a M McKinsey survey, so it must be true. Um, but only 22% of marketing chiefs say their jobs are well-defined and understood by other C-suite executives, down from 31% in 2019. So um, if marketing, which has been around for quite a while, uh, you mentioned William Wrigley. I mean, I think that quote was from, what, the 1920s? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, that, that was a while ago, right? A yeah, hundred years definitely. ago. Um, yeah. The data is a bit newer. Uh, and so I guess my whole point is if, if marketing is still this mis misunderstood uh, by executives, um, it just sort of makes sense that something newer like data uh, would be um, arguably more misunderstood. So you hit on something, Matt, that I think is the core to a lot of it is when you start to see people want, you know, other departments wanting your work. And a unique aspect of being in the data department, I use that term as kind of a generic term, where data and analytics come from rather than sort of spit it, splitting a lot of organizational hairs. It's, it provides this horizontal value across every other part of the company. I don't know another part of the company that could provide value to literally every other part of the organization or at least have the opportunity to and so getting that word out, which is a big thing I preach all the time in terms of data management, data value storytelling, if you will, is so critical to these for these data leaders to beef up on those soft skills, on that ability to communicate how they are and why it's so important to adhere to a data standard or, you know, stop beating up the data stewards or searching before creating or just holistically investing in the kind of capabilities that we need to get data and analytics to, to, to bring more value to an organization. It, we just keep struggling with that stuff. And, and, and so getting that really clear, crisp story and narrative out, you know, which is some version of it makes everything else better. If well, the problem is the that, right way. <laughs> I mean, I think I think business leaders across most verticals rec will recognize that they use data, right? So any transaction that happens on a website that gets recorded in a data system. I think the story we're not telling is what you can do beyond that, beyond the basic accounting, beyond the basic inventory tracking. And the other problem we have is that we're an industry. This data industry is very subject to hype cycles. Data science, uh, oh, really? data stack, now <laughs> AI. And that leads us to spend a lot of time navel gazing, just like kind of, or looking at our own reflection, if you will, rather than actually going and trying to help other parts of the business. Like, oh, we're going to deploy Snowflake now. Well, that's great. It, Snowflake's a great technology, but what are, what are we going to do with it? Like, how are you going to yeah. help the inventory part of the company? Or how are you going to help marketing? do their job a bit better and communicate what they're doing to the CEO say, how are you going to do that with Snowflake? Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, can I just make one correction here real quick? It was John Wanamaker actually, who said uh, that um, uh, half my advertising spend is wasted. Hi, Jacob. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Jacob. Yeah, yeah sure. thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jacob. I'll be talking to him later. I'm on his show. Okay. Ninja oh, nice. You got to check okay. out, I'm going to do a plug for him. If you've not seen, if you've not listened to Big Day Today, so I'm out there supporting all the rest of us like hyper creative folks in the data space you got to check it out from ninja cat he wrote a basically a hamilton like opera it's just audio only with songs about dealing with data at an organization and there's it's hilarious that's how we met 
I hmm. saw that. And I sent him my puppets. He's like, oh, you're cool, too. And so we're, we're doing an interview later. But check him out for sure. Big day to day. Joe, did you see Ninja Cat at a club in Berlin or something? I mean, that's a fantastic name. I love it. Is it N- yeah. Ninja Cat? Yeah, new DJ for Ninja Cat. Ninja Cat? No, it sounds like, it sounds like the uh, sounds like another club in Berlin. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, now that's an interesting one. I mean, actually, there's some interesting comments here. Real quick, let me just get to these. Uh, um, John Cook, what's up, dude? Um, the difference between something like marketing and data is CEOs. He's marketing being needed. Just to know how to make it effective, they see data teams as plumbing and and uh, not knowing how needed they are. I, I think this is mostly accurate. I, w- I would I guess I would wonder why you would have a data team if you don't know how they're needed in the first place. To me, that just seems like a wild um, misspend up front. Uh, and I, but I, I do see this in the real world. Uh, Marketing is one of the things where if you look at, okay, so what's interesting is if you look at the tenures of chief marketing officers and chief data officers, chief marketing officers are only slightly uh, more tenured in their positions than chief data officers. I believe the tenure is about 18 to two years for CDO and about two and a half years for CMO. I, I can look up the, the right numbers. I think it's uh, roughly around right. that. I, I, yeah. That's, that's kind of the driving force in my uh, puppet epic because the cdo realizes <clears throat> my cdo realizes that he gets all kinds of data or, or analysts telling him that the average tenure of a of a chief dog officer they get put down in their first 18 months and so he's right. trying to not get put down that's the version that's the, mm. the dog version of getting fired a little gruesome but you gotta you know you gotta a little have dark edge. yeah yeah oh yeah i like to go dark if i can go dark i'll go dark it's such a surprise to people. <laughs> Get a little edge. Darkness helps scare them into it. I'm trying to, you know, drive action here. So, yeah. And then who else, what else is this? Um, uh, Jason Taylor, aka LinkedIn user. Um, how much of this is noise where people are whining about how they don't get along with slash understand each other? That's an undercurrent. I think that's a, you know, that's certainly a motif in almost all of these engagements. You know, we just don't, we just don't understand each other. We're using the wrong terminology or I don't understand the technical side. And, you know, how much of that is just the nature of humans trying to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and so the flip side of that is the better, you know, buff up your communication skills. How well can you speak to others that you don't know and get them to go, as I'm fond of saying, from I have no idea what you're talking about to how do we live without this? And having a background in sales and marketing, that's what you do for a living. And that's where I came from. You know, mm-hmm. I came from door to door sales. So if you don't show the value in your first couple of minutes, it's not right. like a metaphor getting your foot in the door or getting the door. So it's actually, it actually happens. So, you know, in terms of just kind of the mu- building up that muscle, that communication muscle, I've had a lot of, a lot of miles in my experience. So that's what I try and share with folks is just how to get there, how to get there quickly. Were you like uncle Rico and Napoleon dynamite where he's going door to door selling Tupperware? I was selling, I never consumer, <laughs> okay. making some sweet moolah with Uncle Rico. Um, <laughs> I did B2B sales. I sold maps. So that'll kind of date it because maps, who buys a map? Why would anybody buy a map? But I have paper maps from this company called Thomas Brothers, one of the greatest jobs I ever had, actually, as I look across my career. And would just go door to door to businesses 
and bring in these maps and, you know, just get yelled at, get kicked out. People would say there's no solicitors. And my snappy answer was always, oh, I thought that meant lawyers. And uh, aside, people had all the time. You can tell me when I get too far off topic. We shoot, we shoot every third salesman and the second one just left. And that was like a printed <laughs> sign that pe- you could buy that sign and put it on your door. And so that always kind of weeded out the week. Anybody who didn't go through us, you know, you just pass these signs and walk right in wow. and get right to the pitch, get right to it. Oh, you're uh, this kind of company. Everybody needs to know these. There's all these. Oh, I have one already. No, it's there's a however many thousands of changes a year, blah, 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 blah. But just the idea of being able to meet somebody you don't even know, somehow connect with them really quickly get into some kind of, again, value-based discussion. And in this case, have them give you money without threatening them. Obviously, it's a sales process. Um, that, you know, that's that's incredible training. Yeah. As Fred says, so coffee is for is closers. Coffee is for closers. Yes, another that's great right. movie. It's a great movie. Glengarry Glenn Ross uh, for people Glengarry who are- Glenn Ross. Movies. I saw yeah. that on Broadway. It was a Broadway certain lines interesting that only you could hear well when it first came out it was it was a play David Mamet play oh and I didn't it, know that and and uh the movie's better because it has the Alec Baldwin character that really brings a different edge yeah that character I don't think is in the play and um there were certain lines where there were like 12 of us in this sold out Broadway audience were laughing at it was like oh yeah because it was like a real like salesperson mm. it really got that so it's <laughs> But I think you're on to something, though, with door-to-door sales. I mean, you know, on that sign that, um, you know, we shoot the uh, third sale, every third salesman and the second one just left, or whatever you just said. That's fascinating because yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of parallels to this and maybe how we might want to communicate, you know, with, quote, the business and um, explaining value to the business. Because I, I, what I notice is a lot of these discussions are very hand-wavy, right? And And basically kind of full of crap. I mean, I have a pretty high BS meter um, and I've um, been told I um, have a very low tolerance for idiots. So, except when I am one. Um, so, um, but probably by other idiots, probably by other idiots. idiots yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're all, they're all dumb. I think um, wonderful tolerance. I think that plenty of tolerance for me. So I've never. Yeah, who would be that person? That. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that's in parallels. I mean, in a lot of ways, it seems like we overcomplicate a lot of ways that we communicate with the business. You know, it's, it's, it's as one of my old boss uh, bosses told me, you know, if I, if I ask for the time, don't tell me how to make a watch, just tell me the time. Right. And the other thing is he said, you know, when you've, um, when you close the sale, shut up and take the order, you know, don't keep talking. That's my father's advice too. Yeah. 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 My dad, I have that in my book. My dad told me that I have a whole like mini (laughs) chapter about, learning that from my father who was one of the greatest salespeople he could sell water to fish i mean he could convince (laughs) anybody of anything and uh that was kind of our family superpowers that we were really convincing wouldn't wouldn't you agree wouldn't you two agree that we're really yes so um (laughs) playing monopoly with him was an education just negotiating just you know really strict but i come back from this call and i blew a sale and the short version of the story is I was talking to this person. They said, yes. And I said, great. It's going to be like last year. And she said, well, I didn't really like last year. And the thing unraveled like in, in front of me. And I you know, come back practically in tears. And my dad's like, when you get the yes, shut up. 
shut up, move to the next thing. You know, yep. doesn't mean you don't say anything, but you're no longer selling. So that ability to communicate the value of what you have, the benefits of what you have to offer, match what your capabilities are to the needs of your audience. These are all different versions of selling. And as data professionals, we have to be able to sell in the concept of how we can bring value to the business. And the only way you can do that is to hear about what the problems are. And but, but, but Scott, I have, I have this new, you know, database. It can, it can you know, handle petabytes of data, um, you know, per minute. It's awesome. Um, the throughput is, you know, at least, uh, you know, 50 million records per second. Um, is that not valuable to you? If, if I'm an IT guy, I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. If I'm a business person, it's like, who let, you know, the only question I have is who let you in my office? Why but do it I does 50 that? million events per second, Scott. I can right? care about, I can care less about that. Why don't I, why, why, why do I care about in sales too? And that sounds like we're going to sort of land on that because selling is a way to communicate the value. There's features and there's benefits. So 50 billion petabytes or whatever, how many event records you could, that's a feature. What's it's the a technical feature. That? It's a technical, it's a technical feature. feature. It's not that, a user-facing is... product feature. And I think that's the important thing too. So let's rewind like 20 years. Let me ask both of you, what was your first experience with Google? Like when did you first encounter Google search? Probably in the early 2000s or something. Um, my uh, classmate slash girl I was dating at the time showed me Google. We were, what, uh, what was your experience? Like, I what think it was you... cool. What, what, yeah. what, well, I'll get to this. So I was using, I think, Yahoo at the time or whatever for searches. And it was, um, I think it's during one of our engineering or math classes. And she shows me Google. And I'm like, that's pretty dope. The answers are good. Super simple. It seems su- too simple. And yeah. it's fast, right? Yeah. So I was like, I then instantly converted. Use it ever since. There's no looking back. What about you, Scott? May I remember sort of a seminal moment, not necessarily Google, but just sort of realizing the internet world out there and just what a mind-blowing experience that was. Was my son was taking a year in Australia and he was trying to he was done and he was trying to ship things back and he was trying to figure out how to ship it back. And I was able to kind of look up shipping locations in Brisbane. And I'm in Connecticut and I was just marveling as it was happening of the kind of, you know, work that it, that used to take if it was even possible, not that long before that. I mean, I grew up in the, you know, I grew up in the seventies and started working in the eighties. So, you know, no computers on two, lots like, of puppets. small computers and, you know, pup, puppets I've been doing forever. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of like my mind blowing experience of like, wow, you could get to all this i'm sure i was using google too so it wasn't differentiating necessarily on the search engine but uh you know like wow and then that became really you know quaint anecdote not very quickly after that and then you know there was a right there was a period of years where people would say well where'd you get that on the internet i found it on the internet like who you know then it became that's where you go first um and my amazon experience was trying to i had that like replace my oil filter with my car in my car and i called the service folks and i could get in about three days later and it was going to cost a hundred bucks and then i look up in amazon i could buy these parts for 18 and i can get them the next day i i I can fix it before i even had my you know car appointment yeah go to and it was a lot less it's like all right this is a new world here i love this but i jumped right into it so it was you know for me it was 
Matt, what are you driving at with that question? Well, I think going back to what you were saying about 50 million events per second, like no one in your business, no one in marketing cares if you could do 50 million events per second, just like no one back in the early 2000s cared that Google was scanning petabytes of data to deliver their search results. What they can, what they care about is what you can do with this thing, right? So if you show marketing, hey, I can give you more customer insights, we can find the customers that we're actually looking for with, with your ads. They're going to care about that. They they don't care about 50 million events per second unless it somehow affects the, the customer experience or the internal experience. And it's a better experience. And it's better for the business. Yep. And those are benefits. Again, those, those are, are benefits. benefits. Yeah. Versus features. And understanding that, like, to your core would help. It's how it gets done versus why it's important. Yes. You know, these really basic things. And using clear language that people your audience will understand which means you got to do different kind of language different kind of approach depending on who you're talking to but telling that same message and just getting really good at it yeah is is just i, th I think that you know really important for folks who want to be successful and be leaders in the data space but let's say for argument's sake hypothetically that I'm a total nerd who can't talk to the business, um, that I can't communicate to save my life, um, that I'm kind of a blithering idiot when I talk to people. I'm not talking about myself, by the way. Um, no, not, no, not, not projecting at all. Um, asking for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend here. Um, how do you suggest they learn these techniques of listening and persuasion and selling? find you know google's at top books that help you do that or you know youtube videos or whatever it is just like the you know the basic understanding by my book but it's probably too advanced for somebody who was you know at that point too specific but you have two choices i think there either you are this incredible you know if that same character is also incredibly brilliant and is the one you can give the hardest problems to and they solve them then they need a really good leader who understands that talent and can guard it and nurture it and point it in the right direction. It's like, don't put this person in front of the board, but these, you know, assassin type exercises we need, that's the person to give it to. And there's room for all of those kinds of, uh, of people. But in yeah. general, most people aren't that right. They're somewhere in that, big middle i live in that too where they have to just learn how to communicate they have to listen try listening just try listening try shutting up try and saying hello i learned in sales really early there's there's different kinds of questioning right there's what they call closed probes hi do you need this for xyz you know blah blah, blah yeah. very specific and then there's open probes which get people to talk more yep and those are things like huh it's a really effective way to get somebody to talk more Tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh, really? Gee. And, you know, nature pours a vacuum and so does a conversation between people and they will talk. And when I had a sales team that I was training and I didn't, I didn't create these techniques, but learned them over years, it's like, if you let the right person talk, they will tell you every freaking problem they've got. They will lay it out there. And if you're a sympathetic ear, they will tell you the horror stories. They will, And when we were, when I was at Nielsen, when I led a SEALs, Sales, sales team at Nielsen, it was finding those folks who were, in our case, in pain and getting them to just explain their day-to-day -day nightmare existence they were having with data, even if you could predict it. And that's also the challenge. Like, you know, I, I think some 
data folks know the answer. So they go in like, you know, this is your problem. This is what you got. Let it go through the exercise and let somebody tell you their problem. They're going to give you some nuances of terminology, a different twist of phrase they might use. And the better you are at listening, the better you are at realizing, okay, that's a great golden nugget. Let me, let me follow up on that one, but just let it, let them talk. Yeah. I've always found that as I, as I cut you off, um, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but wait a minute, I have another thing. <laughs> Self-awareness is key. Um, so it, it's interesting too. One of the things I've, I've learned over the years is if you ask open-ended questions, it's also like, you know, the, uh, the open probe questions, this also lets the person who you're talking to own the answer to what they're saying. So a good question to ask is, okay, so how, how do you think that would work? That forces them to come up with the answer. And at the same time, they own that answer. They own that outcome now um, of that answer. And I found this highly effective to getting people on board um, in a way that it's uh, almost a Jedi mind trick. I learned this actually from Chris Foss's uh, Never Split the Difference. If you talk about books and resources, I feel this is one of the best books on um, mm. not just negotiation. It's a book about hostage negotiation, actually. Um, but it's, it's um, I think, one of the most effective books for just communicating. Because if you think about a hostage situation, it's kind of a high-risk uh, negotiation. And, it's, and it says win-win is also for losers in this case. Like, you, there's no such thing as a win-win situation in a hostage negotiation. It's not like you can, like, negotiate. Oh, if you take, like, half their limbs, uh, we'll call it right, square. Right. Okay, bring the, half their body clear back. clear you it's don't fine. want to split that difference physically. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like no, you want the hostage alive, and, you know, and then an outcome for everybody, right? So that's, yeah. that's what it's, it's about. about. Um, yeah, but I felt like that, that was a really good uh, kind of Jedi mind trick if you just say, well, Scott, I mean, that's interesting. How, how would you envision this works, right? And that that and it just pause. And this is in, in like, uh, this periods of quiet too. That's the other thing that works really well. It's just being quiet, and letting the person fill in the blanks. Oh yeah, um, it's just it, it takes it takes a lot of skill and training to shut the hell up because people want to. You know, they're thinking about the next thing they want to say. Mm-hmm. It's supposed and, to be a very uh, boring podcast after everyone's going to shut up and like just let each talk. <laughs> We're all going to take a moment of silence and let the let the listeners <laughs> tell us what they want to hear. But just that that questioning, answering that that kind of process that it's just these are these are out you know these come a lot from sales and marketing. They're applicable to 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 data, but they're not you know they're universal. I think in terms of communicating with people, yeah, right. You know your own partner. You don't go to your partner and say, "I know what your problem is." You hear her out. You hear them out. Okay, what's the Let's Speak get for to yourself, that solution. Scott, I, yeah, well, <laughs> at least I try. Oh, but she's listening. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. And, uh, I know what your problem is. Yeah. It's, it's me. I'm just kidding. I know what your problem is. <laughs> what your problem is. That's your problem. That's one of my favorite lines. Um, and, 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 but just getting better at that. You know, what's the fewest number of words you can use when you're writing something, when you're talking about something? I go through that exercise a lot. Like, how do I cut down these? This is, I have an explanation, but it's too verbose. How do I make it more economical headline writing is you know those kinds of things i had a little bit of journalism training in college and you know editor of my school newspaper but still it's those those disciplines are are incredibly valuable and mm -hmm. i and i don't think they change right if you read a good news story it starts with the lead answers the questions and they you know they talk about this pyramid where you most important stuff on the inverted pyramid, the most important stuff on the top. And then you get more and more 
sort of granular or back up the story more and more so you can cut from the bottom yeah from the top but cut from the bottom in terms of you know word count and space and all those other kind of physical constrictions but thinking about that I talk to people all the time. I talk to leaders of businesses all the time, especially on the brand. And I have a series of questions like, so what do you guys do? And I don't get their brand story. I get their freaking life story. Mm. Well, you know, I used to work for this company and then I left there and then that didn't work out. And then I'm like, are we even close to this part of your career yet? Mm. It's, 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 you know, and there's no stakes with me. I'm just hearing them out to hear their style, to hear how they convey their messaging. But even at the, you know, at the conference level, at the, you know, convention level, at the cocktail party level, you still got to have your story tight and straight. Um, because these are, I think, you know, the, the context is a business context. Even if you're really friendly with folks, it's still a business context. You're trying to talk to somebody who somehow bring value to their life or subtract it depending on what you want to do i guess subtract <laughs> it. That's, that's a, i just want to anger as many people as possible uh, <laughs> that's a good way to get kicked out <laughs> it might happen um let me go through some of the comments here real quick uh fred has a really good uh nobody wants to know the trouble i've seen there's actually a lot, a lot of deep thoughts in that one um that's fred fred's very deep Fred is yes. Elsa has another uh, question for you. Uh, will you be writing another book? No, not directly. So I may have a novelization of the journey to the center of the single version of the truth, but right now my creative energy is really focused on producing this this epic multi part series with these puppet characters. And it's probably about 10 episodes. I've got five of them Jeez. in some form of production that are written and recorded. I've got to do like the rough editing, but I've already got the, the I've already got the guest voices recorded. I've got the puppetry done. I've got it synced up. I've got to do some editing where the real, I find like that's really where the story starts to take off in the editing process. So this whole thing creatively over the last year doing all this stuff is just for me again, just, incredibly satisfying and mind-blowing in terms of just doing this kind of of uh, of work i'm just having a ball with it you're having fun with it i remember getting a preview of a video at big data london uh yeah. you were you were actually the the speaker before me and i was in the uh, the back actually watching the um yeah. your presentation on the uh, monitors uh for the stage crew and it was it was hilarious they're all cracking up at your puppet show um it was really cool. I hadn't, uh, hadn't seen it before. And um, then I that's, get on uh, and to totally kill the audience. But uh, that, it was, that, it was that, fun. That, that's kind of a, 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 a in my head objective when I do public speaking too. It's like if I can make the crew laugh. Because they see everything, right? It's yeah, not like yeah, the, they're the guys running AV at this conference aren't like data AV guys. They're, you know, automotive folks are coming in next and doctors are next week so it's it's like if you can do something to make those guys laugh and uh well they're having a hoot plus they're british they, they you know they they have a different sense of humor um you know it's just uh you have to be a bit sharper over there and so i feel like they're it was, it was a good compliment to your uh show but uh, you know the the, uh, the the yeah the, the, the stage guys were cracking yeah well, it's outrageous too i just again the context uh the that it's in is people aren't expecting it at all. And then you just burst out with all this stuff that's, you know, basically animation almost. 
it just changes the whole dynamic the whole yeah. energy in the room and it's like this is a, this is a this is a secret weapon i have not that secret but like this is a this is a something in my uh kit bag that i use more and more of which i am so incorporating videos in my when i do my presentations at these conferences mm-hmm. is really fun too that's Just cool. Kind of mix it up. Yeah. And then Fred has a question here. What, what conferences would you like to keynote? <laughs> what would I like to get? I always want, I always wanted to do a, a Gardner conference, but uh, they finally just told me we don't have external. The, the wording was we don't use external on topic speakers. They want internal off topic speakers. Yeah. So they'll bring somebody who like is just about, creativity in general or how to get you know how to get your life together or god we gotta get on that circuit man big data lender right (laughs) we saw that the guy was an astronaut right tim peak great he was an astronaut he put a couple words about data in the beginning but it's you know this big inspirational kind of speaker so that was at least their excuse okay um but uh i don't know i've I've been doing great anywhere anywhere they'll have me almost so i'm going to Mm. uh you know whether it's a keynote or a main stage thing or whatever i tell people in my usual humble fashion you know the bigger the the bigger the audience the better i am i feel the same way which means on -on one-on-ones i'm not that good i can just die with like three people in the room not because it's not a big audience but if my stuff doesn't hit the right topic area I'm like not the person they want to hear. And that's happened. It happened at, at D and B. It was really sort of, it was a seminal moment there for me because it made me really realize like where my spot was. And that's another thing that's important, at least in the work I do, like know your niche, know your area, try and stick with it, be as good in that as possible. But the generalist, view doesn't work and when people want to understand really technical how to get it done stuff i am not the person to talk to and so thrust sometimes in those in those conversations people are just like we don't you know we don't need to hear this cute pithy you know wacky stuff is just not what we're looking for huh so it's interesting yeah, your I, spot. play your position really play well. Play your position. Yeah, your position. Yeah, that's my feeling. That's good. Yeah, conferences are an interesting thing. I feel like I do better in big audiences than small ones because um, there's a certain, I think, a threshold of, of attendees in the, at the conference where uh, at, at a talk where it's actually easier to give a talk. I think it's easier to give a talk in front of a thousand or more people versus a, a room of like twenty. Um, cause then you're just talking to a sea of faces, right? And I think it's almost easier in that way. Cause you feel like you're, uh, you kind of put the blinders on. It's a lot easier. Um, as a bit smaller audience, it's actually harder um, from what I've experienced. And, and so, uh, um, the more the merrier. Yeah. Sure. Especially, you know, if you, especially if you feed off of, and I know you've got, you know, laugh lines and you're looking for interaction and you're looking for reaction. I had a real eye opening experience last year. I, I, I at least record audio. And if possible, video of everything I do, because that's the best teacher out there. And people should do that. So any of you out there who are going to present to your bosses or whatever, just open up your little voice recorder app on your phone and hit record and listen to yourself. And it'll be an education that you couldn't even pay for. It's that valuable. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to get that. 
And so it's That's always hard. been a training tool for me. So last year I had a conference and I was taping me, but I had another camera and I pointed it at the audience. And I watched that. And that was like, wow. You know, because you think, and, and I hear me in the background thinking I'm like, Droning on, doing this, I'm doing it. And people are just, you know, on their phone or they're sort of looking or they're kind of looking up. But even the people who are paying attention, it's like I'm watching their physicality. It was this big ballroom and I could kind of zoom in on my iPad, kind of like see this little group over here seemed active. And it was, it was, it was really, really incredibly valuable and also like real training uh, to see what really works. You feel like stuff works, especially if you're not distracted by watching yourself. You're just hearing yourself and watching these reactions. And one thing I picked up on that was as soon as I put on a video, and I had three videos in this, or two videos in this in this session, the whole nature of the room changed. I mean, it was just like unbelievably powerful, which I knew was there anyway. But after that, I thought, okay, I'm always fitting video in here because it just changes the energy a little bit. It gets people who weren't paying as much attention to pay more attention. It's got, you know, and again, it's this multimedia thing, even though the videos are me in the one case, me and my grandson, if you know that video, um, it was just, it it was incredibly valuable to just see people's reaction. Interesting. It's like when they play, uh, it's like when they play uh, films in classes, like my kids' classes, (laughs) the kids just like automatically shut up and watch the show. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're having a film today. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is kind of hilarious because when Joe and I were growing up a long time ago, it was much more novel, right? We didn't have iPads everywhere. There were TVs around the house and such, but it was a big deal to watch a movie back then because you weren't doing it all day long. It's kind of funny to me that it still works even now when kids have phones and iPads. Well, especially back in the 80s, Matt, because they're showing some pretty lame stuff. Like, remember Dare? Uh, videos <laughs> yes. and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> like don't buy drugs for people like this <laughs> so, um but buy them for people that look like that i'm just kidding um so, <laughs> <laughs> oh man um switching gears real quick uh jeremy has a question here um hey guys big fan of scott's work can ai finally force master data management I hope so. It certainly can help, right? How can it not help? How can it not help, you know, clean up your your stuff? Training it with the right thing. We don't have to go through that again. But obviously, as long as it's trained on the right stuff, I don't see how it can't help. Uh, certainly with basic stewardship, at least with basic stewardship stuff. I mean, people still, you know, reformatting phone numbers and whatever kind of crap that they have to go through. But it should absolutely, as long as it's, you know, as long as you're starting with good data to feed, to start that cycle. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's finally, but. I think it can't help though. And I actually wrote an article about this back in November about how uh, um, I feel like machine learning and AI, especially generative AI might be what it takes to push data management into something that's, I think, finally scaled. Right, because it's not like data is going to continue shrinking or or stop growing, especially with generative AI. It's going to keep growing a ton because it, most of it's going to be synthetic data, um, AI produced data. So, I feel like with um, generative AI is probably one of the only things that actually could help data management scale to the point where we uh, um, hate to say it, but stop complaining about it because <laughs> it feels I don't like know if again stop complaining about. No, oh, true, given, yeah, but it's enough on it being solved. I know it's just, uh, you know commentary on the side because I. Yeah, because it feels like, again, I, I hop into my, my LinkedIn data bubble. It seems like 
one it's, it's one of the areas where you know i always notice that there's a post on data governance and man, data management and we really need to make it work this year it's kind of like you know um like, like somebody has weight loss problems or you know that uh they, they didn't pay attention to dare that drug problem um it's like this is my year i'm really going to get it together this year um this is what data management feels to me right now it's like a, the, the old school a, reason it's a good example because it's the same i mean in a way it's the same discipline right you got to eat right you got to exercise there's no shortcuts there's no you know I bought a Peloton and now I can hang, you know, I bought the bigger one so I can hang more clothes on it when I come on. I just, you know, <laughs> don't use that stuff. Oh, we got a new fancy tool or this new shake mix. Does it ever work? You know, is there an Ozempic for data now that people could use? I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, such a good but question. it's just, <laughs> it's, it's hard work. It's, you just got to do it. I mean, there's no shortcuts here, really. I feel like there's a pure data scaling problem, though, right? Because it's now data is going to be produced in so many different forms that it feels like even with MDM, there might be, uh, I guess, permutations of data that MDM, you know, because it's generated by a machine, may not catch. I was writing about this this morning, actually, for my book. It was um, Humans and Machines, and it was titling uh, Data Modeling 2.0, sort of like what Andre uh, Kaparthis talked about with uh, Software 2.0, right, where uh, machines would be generating um, code for software and ultimately writing software on its own. I feel like data and data modeling is, is approaching this inflection point as well. You're already seeing it with generative AI and the ability to um, generate code. And I think this is the future where you would have agents um, uh, largely autonomous for people just doing all this stuff on its own. But then it kind of sort of requires a, a, maybe a rethink of how we're thinking about data management while also, um, I think, staying true to the, the core principles. But uh, cat's out of the bag at this point, and we're not going back. So I think, you know, it, it requires a, a bit of a rethink of sort of the world we're in right now, because it's going to be a, a world increasingly run by machines, not humans. So Truth before meaning. That's all I keep going back. Yep. Get the yep. truth in your data before you derive meaning. That's not changing. You know, will AI fix, you know, what's the latest thing that's going to finally push data management? Right before that, it was the mesh fabric debate. Before that, it was big data. Before that, it was, you know, whatever, data warehousing. Before that, it was chart of account. You know, we go through, it's hard not to be cynical in this space where these cycles of, you know, two years ago, it was the fesh ma fesh maverick, mesh <laughs> fabric debate that's just been, right, it got knocked off the, the front page. Got knocked um, off the front page, yep. Yeah. And that was the big topic, was, though. That was all. That was, was all I was talking for, about for a long time. Yeah, yeah. and I, I was really interested in just the dynamics of the debate, not so much the features and, frankly, even benefits of one approach or another. I was just having a ball watching this debate go back and forth between the Fabriconians and the <laughs> and the Meshies. <laughs> And, 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 you know, and Gartner reared its head in there. And obviously Zamak is this high priestess kind of, you know, reluctantly leading the charge and just the devotees and the passion and the intensity. And I'm just watching this going, this is, you know, part of this is really hilarious. Oh, it is. I, I, and Zamak's a really good friend of mine too. And I joke with her that generative AI is probably the best thing that happened to her in the sense where it did take the pressure off of, you know, what she's working on. Cause I yeah. still think there's a lot of utility to what, what, um, data mesh can provide, but there was just so much hype and, and so much BS happening in the industry right now. And I feel like, as I told her, you know, this is your time just to like, just focus on building and you don't have to keep responding to a million, you know, stupid requests about, 
you know, some yeah, subtle nitpicking for a year and a half. And oh, she was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, she'll, yeah. she'll be back. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, every rock star gets a, uh, gets a moment to take a break. <laughs> so, right. Right. I, I don't think she's going to be a one hit wonder. I think there will be a lot yeah, of conversation so. around this in the future. And the I, one thing I, I'll say, oh, I admired her for her data storytelling yeah. techniques for her storytelling. Yeah, how she great. crafted that narrative, how it broke through, how, and again, really seriously, how the Gartner folks were trying to co-opt it and crush yep. it at the same time, yeah. which was just a shark jumping moment for that that group. That was like we came see. up with this already, but no, it's not the right thing. But we did come up with it. But if you look in this document, you know, buried in here behind this paywall, this was really our idea. And it's right. like you guys are just protesting way too much here. Yeah. Okay, and uh, you know, isn't isn't mesh just affect sexy fabric anyway? <laughs> the, the one thing I'll say, the, the thing I really liked about the data mesh hype cycle is that it was finally a data hype cycle that wasn't as much about technology. Big data, all about Hadoop, modern data stacks, Snowflake, BigQuery, whatnot. Whereas this was more about team organization. And I think we need more of those hype cycles to say, you know what, we, we need to think about how we're organizing our teams and how we're leading to make to solve some of these problems. The, the new shiny thing from Oracle or Microsoft or Google is not going to solve your problems unless you get the team structure right. Yeah. She had me at techno socio, socio technical. That was it. Yeah. Right in there. Like first paragraph. Like, all right, this is going to be fun. It is. It is. <laughs> Matt and I are experiment. You know, we, 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 we actually have a real world use case for this right now where we have a client that's decentralized and you know, so how do you, how do you apply, you know, these sort of topologies um, of architecture to, to really work with that. Right. And so it's something I think all too often we, we beat over the head of, of um, you know, organizations that, well, there's one size fits all, you know, and, and I think that there's, you know, what, what Schumacher popularized too, is just the fact that, you know, um, if you're trying to go decentralized, especially then there's, you have to sort of rethink how you're architecting these systems. Right. And um, so I think that was a, but when the, you know, when the business said, so how are we getting value from data? And some, the answer was, well, we're going to do a data mesh. That's the wrong answer. Yeah, it's the wrong answer. Yep. But that exactly. became an answer for a lot of people. I well, watched people go, oh, that's what we're doing now is we're doing a data mesh. Again, it's like, who, who, who cares other than you and your team? <laughs> and it's cool. But again, it's, it's, we get back to our you know, topic of the day there isn't value for the company you work for in just declaiming that that's, that's your objective. For sure. Well, I think the same thing's happening with AI right now. Every company yeah. now has to be an AI company. And it's like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to add value to the business? Well, AI, right. Um, now some people in the comments are pointing out, obviously you have to get the foundation correct. And uh, that's it. Um, yeah, I didn't see the comments, but that's totally my, my new keynote this year, you know, last year I had data is a new bullshit. So now it's very easy this year. Just do data is a new bullshit gen AI edition. So it's kind of yep. like a stencil. It's like, here you go. Just add gen AI. Isn't that what we're all doing? Doesn't that make it that much better? Yeah. Everybody's an AI company. Yep. It'll go away at some point. I mean, it, Tristan Handy from DBT had a really good article yesterday about um, just becoming sort of the uh, moving on from the modern data stack. Um, just because I think he feels like the term sort of uh, had its moment in the sun and now it's time to get back to what its purpose was, which is analytics. And I think the same thing is going to happen with AI where, you know, it's a thing we use to describe what will now just be something that's sort of commonplace, right? Like, you know, again, I always say that we don't we don't marvel at electricity. All of us are using it, or the internet. We just kind of 
take it for granted and it does its thing and we don't really acknowledge its presence anymore because it, it's fulfilled its meaning and it's, and its utility. It does what it does. So you don't have to keep praying at it, right? And I think the same thing with AI. Um, I think over the next few years, we're going to see ourselves just, um, now that I think it's, it's reaching actual utility, it's time to put it in the, uh, the back burner and just let it do its thing. So it doesn't mean it's not going to get better. But the, the hype cycle will move on to something else. But it also doesn't it is. mean it's the answer to everything. No, of course not. And like, that's what we should do. So, yeah. Because then people will, you're already hearing the reverb of like, well, where's the real value here? And I know everybody wants to do it, but this. And just, you just see these, you know, when you've been doing this as long as I have since pre 2K, it's hard not to just recognize the cycles of here comes another one. Yeah. Another, you know. One size fits all, quick fix, fantasy, a band-aid, easy button solution. It's going to be the magic one forever. Here we go. Yeah, it kind of feels like a Y2K moment right now with uh, AI in some ways. Where it's like, if you don't, if you don't do this, like it, it, bad things will happen. There's that threat too, yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to be, uh, competition's going to outrun you, right? Meanwhile, they're all just using ChatGPT, um, uploading private data to a public system and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> happens every day. <laughs> so it's... Um, I mean, interesting world. Anyway, uh, coming up on time, man. But uh, I want to oh, let man, you go and already? enjoy your uh, Cocoa Beach oh, yeah. uh, experience I this was there. The pre-show. Anyway, when are we going live? Are we going live? <laughs> <laughs> this is the, yeah Super Bowl pre-show right now. Yeah, did you watch? The, did you watch the Super Bowl last night? Yes, that was fun. Yeah, not like you know, I didn't have pick too many sides. Obviously, I was rooting for the love story. Who doesn't love a, a good love story? Right. <laughs> Watching the fun commercials. Yeah, my partner, my girlfriend's totally into football, so she knows. She's like, "Did you see that?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't actually explain that mm. to me." So she, 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 she grew, grew up watching football, so she. Interesting. It was a good game, well though. Achieved. I think what was it like? Yeah, forty yeah, or uh, Chiefs won in like the last seven seconds of the. Uh, yeah, yeah. Game, so yeah, that's yeah, always impressive. Last, uh, last play. Yeah. I always think the suspense is they're playing like crap the first half. And I was like, "What happened to these guys, uh, the Chiefs?" And then they, um, they do their thing. So. Yeah, and Marianne told me she said it always starts this way. Don't worry, it's always this way. <laughs> they have to warm They're up. Falling apart. Like, no, it's a, they got to warm up. Don't, don't give up on love, Scott. Don't don't give up. Don't give up on what? <laughs> on love. Don't give up no, on love. <laughs> that's enough. That's our Valentine's Day message here. Is that it? So yes. <laughs> cool. Any uh, any events you got coming up? Yeah, I'm going. So I, I said I'm going to uh, Gardner. Just going to go bop around there. I don't, I'm not speaking there, but I'm at Data Universe. Those of you who are not going in New York, uh, maybe go to Data too. Universe. Um, at the Javits Center from the wonderful folks who also brought you Big Data London. I'm going to be doing uh, the Big Data Toronto event um, with my partner Infoseps. So I work with this brand Infoseps, and I've got a whole year. Um, relationship with them at least uh where i do events with them and do content and that sort of thing uh avanta i'm going to be doing a couple of their cdao events which is really fun great brand kind of a sister brand of gardner and they have these really sort of exclusive high level sessions that they do and i'm their keynoter for a couple of those uh then big data london again uh, doing some Dama stuff, Dama New York, Dama Day in June. So the calendar's filling up nicely. Nice. And uh, yeah, I love it. Like I tell people, I have a fear of not public speaking. So for me, it's 
wherever I can find those opportunities, I leap at them. Fear of not public speaking. I know yeah. what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 my line, by the way. Because you hear it elsewhere, which I I'll, have. Uh, I'll use it, but I'll give you the attribution <laughs> for it. That's funny. Um it's good talking to you. Matt, also, we'll be at... Uh, do you have any speaking coming up, Matt? Uh, just the just in Switzerland, actually, at the end of the month on, well, at, on March 1st. So that's the main thing at the moment. Yeah, Captain B in a Verbier. Um, come say hi. Uh, and then I'll be in Verbier, then um, off to Saudi Arabia for Leap and Deep Fest. So giving some talks there. And then... Cool back and i believe i there will be a lot more uh, to announce very soon um so yeah stay tuned Super. tape it's yourself just, tape yourself and listen doesn't like you know oh they tape it for me and i just watch it i'm like jesus just what, a, watch. what a wreck this guy sucks um oh and fred asked the most important question of the uh, whole show how do we keep up with the data puppets how do we keep up with the perfect google data puppets and you'll I'm gonna google that right now actually thing. that's it follow me on linkedin follow me on youtube and well, just keep 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 the more more episodes coming probably in I don't know a couple months actually I've got all this content I'm like working through and I want to sharpen it all up but I'll send out some clips as they happen but that's the way to do it it's a real thing follow me yeah it's a real thing yeah awesome. yeah datapuppets dot com I bought the URL I haven't used it yet but that's twelve it's bucks coming. well invested. It's yeah. It's coming. You'll go to a GoDaddy right now, but someday. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seb writes his uh, Verbier DJing and data. Uh, yep, that's um, that's likely. So, And skiing and snowboarding, assuming there's still snow up there, which I is kind of – it's great right now, of course. What fun. Yes. Awesome, Scott. Well, thanks for being on the show again. We'll, um, we'll have you on next Valentine's Day as well. Um, All right. I'm sure yes. I'll see you between then and now, but always great to we'll talk. We'll see each other at a few of these show. conferences you mentioned. Yep. Love you guys. Thanks for having yeah. me as always. Thanks Thank you. for and thanks, thanks to the audience. Great uh, interaction and stuff. Um, great comments. And we'll see you next week. I think it's just Matt and I next week, actually. So um, there's that. <laughs> yeah yeah we'll have to come up with some things to talk about I don't <laughs> yeah I think matt and i kind of want to do more regular shows too at least yeah. once a month or just us um that's sort of how the show started so again back to our roots so anyway talk to y'all soon bye-bye see you next week